If, we, uh, if Beliefs has not left yet, you guys can go ahead and go over. The trailer next door is where Beliefs kids will go to. Um, so go ahead and head you send your kids over there now. Um, my name's Joey. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to thank you all for joining us today. I think some of us can relate to that scenario, maybe not that exact scenario. I don't know if that's even actually possible, um, but maybe something similar, right? We're talking to a friend or our spouse, and they are telling us their problems, and it just seems, it seems as if they're missing it, like they don't quite get it, right? They're just totally missing the point. They're, they're missing the root cause of their issue. They're more just focusing on the symptom and not dealing with the root cause. We live in a world where we are so easily distracted by the symptoms rather than focusing and drilling down and trying to understand what the root causes to our problems are. Today we will be looking at a passage where we are not just going to see a symptom, but they're going to Look at what the greater problem, the greater problem of the human race is, and then even get to the greater solution for all those problems. So follow along with me. Today we will uh, be in Acts chapter 3. Go ahead and open your Bibles. We'll be, in the, we'll be covering the whole chapter 3 this morning and even bleeding a little bit into chapter 4, just touching in it. Um, in that passage, we will see... A man who at first is just focused on the symptoms of his problem. And we'll see how the apostles address it and then even point him to that greater solution. And so we'll be breaking our chapter up into a few different sections today. So follow along as I read our first section, starting at verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. In these first few verses, we see a man who has some issues. We see a man who's crippled from birth. And his friends would carry him every single day to the temple and leave him at the gate so he could just beg for alms. Now, alms is just a word that simply means money. It's like a type of offering. And at first glance, I read this, and I think the friends are kind of jerks, right? They bring their friend to the temple every day, and they just leave him outside. It'd be like if I was pushing a guy in a wheelchair. You guys saw me driving on the road. You're driving on the road. I'm pushing a guy in a wheelchair, smiling at all of you. And then I get to church, and I just leave him out front and come inside. Like, what is that? Why would you just leave him outside? What? You can't take him into temple? Don't you think he wants to worship with you too? But this is one of these stories where we truly need to understand what's going on historically, culturally, to understand that the friends aren't really that much jerks. In this day, 
being disabled meant that they were not going to be able to support. There was no job they could do being disabled. And there was no such thing as disability or welfare. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. End of story. And actually, it's, it was actually against the law for them to bring cripples into the temple. The Jewish leaders didn't allow crippled and lame people into the temple because there was something wrong with them. So we can't let them into that place of worship. So the friends were only trying to do what was best. I tried to figure out where exactly this beautiful gate would have been, and I read in a few different books trying to understand, and no scholar could come to an agreement about where the beautiful gate would have been. That's because there's dozens of gates listed in the Bible for the two different temples. And the temple isn't even standing nowadays, nor can we go in and try and excavate and see where this gate may have been. So there's no real way to know where the gate was, just that it was one of the many gates outside of the temple. One thing that is for certain, though, is why. Why the friends would bring him to this specific place. The giving of alms was considered an admirable act in Jewish religion. It was normal for beggars to be stationed where they would expect religious people, pious people, those wanting to look religious to those watching, they wanted to stay there so they could receive money. It was a way for the Jews to worship by giving money to the poor and destitute. Now, as I read that and I I researched it and thought about it, I was like, well, what would that look like for us nowadays? What would it look like to always see the same people in the same spot? And I instantly thought of Duff Avenue exit over in Ames off of Highway 30. Usually on Saturdays, you will see somebody stationed there every day or all day, But even throughout the week, at certain key hours, you will see people always there. Now, those people wouldn't stand there week after week, day after day, if they weren't being fruitful in what they were attempting to do. If they never received anything standing at those exits, they wouldn't stand there. I promise you that. They're receiving something when they stand there. That's the same thing. That's what this place was for the Israelites. A place where those who couldn't work would be able to stand and get enough money just to eat. Now it's also easy, at least for me, to look at the friends in the story and to be judgmental. To think that they were potentially enabling him. They were helping him by taking him to the gates, yet that is it. They just stopped right there. By this point, If they were living in Jerusalem, they would have heard of Jesus, the miracle worker. And later on in the chapter four, we're going to see that this man was 40 years old. The lame beggar was 40 years old. And if he's at the temple every single day for the past five years, he would have seen and heard about Jesus. He potentially even saw Jesus. Why didn't any of his friends think to bring him to Jesus? We saw other people bringing their friends to Jesus. Why didn't these friends? Maybe they did. Maybe it's just not recorded in Scripture. 
You know, we read over and over again of the massive crowds that would show up with hurting people for Jesus. And he wouldn't heal everyone. So maybe he was in the crowd in one of these other stories. Maybe it is also that the man just didn't believe he could be healed. Right? Maybe he didn't think he deserved to be healed. So often when we work with someone or talk to somebody who is struggling in some way, they, they want the simple solution. And we hear, well, I, just, I need gas money just so I can go to work. If I could just get some gas money to fill up my car, then I could go to work for this week. Well, no, let's, let's sit and talk about that. Let's talk about some financial planning or figure things out. No, no, I don't want that. Just give me the gas money. I just need a hotel room so I don't have to stay outside tonight in the cold. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's, let's try and get you somewhere. Let's get you in a, a shelter somewhere to try and get some. No, no, I don't want that. I don't want a place like that. I just, just one night, hotel, it's all I need. I just need my husband to respect me a little bit more. If he would just show me the respect that I deserve. Well, what, what are you doing to respect? No, no, it's not about me. It's about him. It's his fault. If my kids would just listen to me when I talked, if they, if they wouldn't ignore me so much, well, what are you doing to try and communicate? No, no, don't blame this on me. It's about them. They just don't listen. We always want to focus on the simple solution. This man wanted money so he could eat food. That seems like a decent request. If he doesn't get money, he doesn't eat. That is a, a good request. Verse 5, though, shows us what happened when Peter and John saw this man. When they walked up and found this man asking for money. It says he fixed his attention on them. The New Living Translation actually says that he looked at them eagerly. He saw something in them, something that gave him a little bit more hope. He had seen religious people walking into the temple every day. But Peter and John, he saw something different. Was he expecting God to heal him? I doubt it. <laughs> Again, that was the furthest thing from his understanding. He was lame since birth. That wasn't even a possibility. But maybe, just maybe, these men would help him a little bit more than the rest. What do we think we need? Or what do we expect God to give us? What is it that thing that you think, if I could only receive this, I could be a better Christian, a better husband, a better mother. What is it, that thing that we think, that's it, if I just could get that? Maybe it's healing right? You've struggled with some pain or sickness, or maybe you have family that's struggling with pain and sickness, and you just think, if, if we could just be healed of this, if this could just be taken from us, we would be better people. We wouldn't be so bitter all the time. Maybe it's money, right? If I could just earn a little bit more money, if I could just get a little bit better of a job, I would be more joyful, and I'd be a better, I'd be a more generous giver if I could just earn a little bit more. We look for the simple solutions. What are we expecting Jesus to do for us? When we come here every Sunday, 
what do we expect God to do? When we ask people to pray for us, what do we expect to actually happen? Or even when we pray for someone, what do we expect God to do? I'm not standing up here preaching a a health and wellness message. This isn't like name and claim it. Just see it and own it and grab a hold of it. It's not that. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe if we prayed with just a little bit more faith and a little bit more expectation, it might be met with God doing something miraculous. And as we look at the next section, we will see what this man receives. He wanted money. That was a symptom of his problem. Let's see what Peter and John give him. Verse 6 says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What does the man receive? Healing. Like I said, he probably thought that this could never happen. The fact that he was crippled from birth only increases the incredibleness of this miracle. This isn't like he just worked out too hard on Friday and was a little sore and just couldn't make it all the way in like his thighs. It's not that. It's not like his leg was just broken and just a few more weeks and he could move again. No, he was completely crippled from birth. He hasn't walked since birth. And that just increases the incredibleness of this story. And because of this incredible miracle, it points him straight to Jesus. He sees that. He understands immediately this healing is not because of these men. It is because of Jesus. And he's praising God for that. In the last section, in the first five verses, we see a man expecting to receive something. And in this passage, we can see another expectation from Peter. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Peter is absolutely expecting God to do something amazing because he's already seen God do incredible things. He never doubts that the man can be healed. This isn't like, God, if it's your will, please, I just don't know how this is going to happen, but God, I know you might be able to do it. No, he prays with expectancy. The Holy Spirit just came to these men yesterday, and here they are in the temple healing people and praying with boldness. He never doubts this man can be healed. He isn't asking God to do something. He is proclaiming that God is going to do something. This isn't a request. This is a proclamation. You are healed. We all need to start praying 
and expecting God to do big things. And I say we because I am right there with you. We need to expect God to do great things in this community, in this church, in our families, in our jobs. We need to expect that God is going to show up and do incredible things. We pray with doubt more often than not, don't we? We need to be praying for people, not just saying we're going to pray for them. Not just posting on Facebook, hashtag prayer, smiley emoji. What would it look like as you're trolling through Facebook and you see that friend who's asking for prayers and talking about the struggles they're having If you actually hit the home button, left Facebook for a second, hit that other button that's usually down in the corner. On my phone, it's like a greenish one. It's got a weird-looking symbol like a phone on it. You hit that, and you actually call them and pray for them. They probably won't answer because none of us ever answer our phones anymore, but leave a voicemail. Actually pray for people. What would it look like when people ask you to pray for them in person if you did it right then and there? Whether that's in church or standing out in front of Walmart. That's weird, isn't it, right? Standing in the middle of the walkway at Walmart and praying. People are going to stare. I know, I've done it. They're going to stare at you. That's another form of witnessing, by the way. Praying boldly in public for people and reaching them where their needs are at. Now with this call to pray expectantly, we do need to give a disclaimer. Jesus didn't heal everybody. And neither did the apostles. In Mark chapter 2, we read a story of an entire city bringing their sick and hurting to Simon Peter's mother's house because they heard that the miracle worker was in town. And they all showed up, and Jesus gets up early, goes and prays, comes back, collects the apostles, and leaves without healing most of them, if any of them. There were probably hundreds of people sitting near this beautiful gate, and probably hundreds more at all of the other gates around the temple. Yet Peter and John only heal this one that we know of. That's because the purpose of the healing was not just to heal them. Jesus basically says that in Mark 2. He says, that's not what we're here for. We're not here just to be a sideshow act, to be miracle workers. We're here. The purpose of the healing is to point people to the healer. It's never about our illnesses or addictions or marital struggles. We can talk about them and praise God for them if they're healed or not. But it's not about those. Not everyone who we pray for will be physically healed in this life. And some of us may have been burnt by that because we prayed for someone and we prayed fervently and it seemed like nothing happened. I had a story similar to this shortly after I became a believer. Shortly after we joined our first church, I met this young man whose name was Chuck. He was an incredible young man, 18 years old. He was discipling me. I was 27, and he's 18, and he was discipling me. He was showing me that not all Christian music was hymns and boring, like there was cool Christian music out there. He was giving me books to read. He was reading scripture with me. He was praying with me. He was showing me who Jesus was. And all the while, his dad was dying of cancer. And I heard story after story of people praying for his dad. 
I heard stories of the elders going to him and praying with him, and we were praying in church, and it just didn't seem like his dad was getting any better. And finally, one night, it just felt like, it was almost like God spoke to me and said, why haven't you prayed for his dad yet? He said, I just don't, I don't know, God. Like, it just seems weird to me. Well, let the doctors take care of that. I don't, I don't know about this spiritual stuff, praying for healing. But okay, God, I'll try it. And I prayed like I had never prayed before. And I prayed for God to heal him. And God, raise him up, heal him, take this all away. These boys, they need their dad. This woman needs her husband. This church needs this man. He's an incredible leader. God, heal him. Next day, I checked my email, and I got a prayer chain from the church letting us know that Chuck's dad had passed that day. What in the world, God? You just told me. I feel like you told me to pray for him last night, and now you take him? What was the purpose of that? What happens when God doesn't heal? I know many of you can probably relate to this idea. You feel like you have prayed over and over again for some form of relief, whether it is physical or emotional or spiritual. You've prayed endlessly and nothing seems to change. Does that mean we're lacking faith? Because it says in the next passage we're going to read in verse 16, it talks about that the man was healed because of his faith. So if people aren't healed, does that mean we're lacking faith? Oh, like I said, Jesus and the apostles, they didn't, they didn't heal every sick person they encountered, and they didn't wipe away all the struggles of this world. Every single person who was healed in the Bible, including those who were raised from the dead, they all eventually died. Except Jesus... Every other miracle of healing and resurrected dead people that we read of in Scripture, they all eventually died. That is because all physical healing is temporary. As it does not address the deeper spiritual issue within all of humanity. We also don't look at death in the right light most of the time. When someone we love passes away, we mourn. We mourn that they are no longer with us. We mourn that we will never have another holiday spent with this loved one. And that's okay, and it's understandable. These people are people who we have shared a huge portion of our life with, who we have loved unconditionally. And the fact that they're no longer going to be with us, that is hard. And it's sad. But if we are followers of Jesus, we must start looking at death not as an ending, but as a glorious homecoming. Death for those who are saved means that they will never suffer again. They will never be sad again. And most importantly, they will never be without Jesus again. This story is not about the lame man. We can think that. Most of us have title chapters in our Bible, and we see the lame beggar healed. So we think that's the main point. But that's not the point. We tend to do that with many miracles. We read of miracles and think that those are the, the main point. We look at the miracle, and we look at the miracles in our lives, and we praise God for the miracle. And the people watching in this section, in this temple, they did the same thing. And Peter had to do a little correction in their lives. Verse 11, 
It says, while he clung, the, the lame beggar, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So again, just like in chapter 2, we see this incredible miracle And many people are watching, and Peter's response is to preach to them. (laughs) People were amazed. Of course they were. This lame beggar has become a leaping worshiper. The men of the town probably had seen this man often, every day. He was known as the cripple in the town. And here they see him jumping around, praising God. The healed man's eyes were focused on the healer while everyone watching was focused on the healing. This is when Peter corrects them. Why are you amazed, he says in verse 12. I I don't know, Peter, because 10 minutes ago, this guy was sitting outside the temple, unable to walk, and now he's running around like a crazy person praising God. Why would we be amazed, Peter? That's strange, right? I can imagine the people watching would have immediately pointed to Peter. And they do. They immediately point to Peter and John, thinking that these men healed him. Peter says, no, this isn't because of us. This is because of God. And more importantly, it's because of Jesus. And Peter goes into his defense of who Jesus is, explaining again that Jesus is the creator, the promised Messiah, the redeemer of all of Israel. And then in verse 19, he points us to that greater solution. He says, yes, praise God when someone is healed. 
But praise God even more for salvation, for the resurrected Christ, for repentance and the adoption into the family of God. He is saying the root of all the suffering in this world is that we have a greater problem, a greater problem than what we think we have, a greater problem than sickness or marital strife. Those are all just the symptoms of our problems. The root of the problem, the nail in our forehead, is that we have a sin issue. Humanity as a whole, every single person who has ever been born has a sin issue. The very reason that we have pain and sickness in this world is because there is sin in this world. That doesn't mean that if you have some sort of illness or suffering in your life, that it is a direct result due to a particular sin in your, your life or your family's life. It just means we live in a sinful world and therefore we have pain and suffering and sadness. Although we are born physically alive, we are spiritually dead when we are born. And the only way to truly deal with that sin is submitting our lives wholly and unconditionally to Jesus. Verse 20 tells us that times of refreshing should flow out of our repentance. When I first think of repentance, I don't instantly think of times of refreshing flowing from it. This idea of turning away from those things that we are tempted to do or or want to do and cutting things out of our life. That's what repentance is. Turning from that doesn't seem like a time of refreshing. Not at first, at least. Peter is pointing to the future hope of the return of Jesus. Our repentance and acceptance guarantees that someday Jesus will return and he will wipe away all pain, all suffering, and those of us who have accepted him as his Lord and Savior will experience unparalleled joy and refreshing. Peter is calling people to repent and believe. He goes directly to the heart issues. And then he points to the prophets in verses 18 through 26. In the end, he is saying that the promise that was made to Abraham is coming to fruition through Jesus. We as Christians share in all of the blessings that were promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to all of Israel, all of the promises promised to them, we share in a piece of that through the adoption, through the blood of Jesus. We've been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. But this adoption only comes from repentance of our sins. We talked a lot about that a couple of weeks ago. But all of the blessings that we can see in Scripture, all of the blessings that are promised to us, they only come from dying to ourselves and living for Christ. It is easy to see this man as an illustration for what salvation is. He was born lame, crippled. And we are all born unable to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God. This man was poor. He had nothing. And we as sinners are bankrupt before God, unable to pay the incredible debt of our sin. 
This man was outside of the temple. And we as sinners are separated from God. No matter how close we get to the door, no matter how good of a person we can be, if we have not accepted Jesus, we are separated because of our sin. The man was healed wholly and immediately by the grace of God. That's just like us too. When we accept Jesus, when we cry out to him, he forgives us completely and immediately. And then the man gave evidence of what God had done by walking and leaping and praising God and by publicly identifying with the apostles, not just in the temple, but later on in their arrest, we'll see he identifies even in their arrest. Now that he could stand and walk and run, there was no question where this man stood. Where do we stand today? Now all of this is incredible and great and salvation and future glory is awesome to talk about, but how does that help here and now? How does that help the hurt and the pain and the suffering here and now? How do we get through the tough times? Verse 11, we cling. We cling to Jesus. We cling to each other. We cling to the word of God. That is what we do when we gather here. We celebrate who God is and what he has done, and we cling to him. That is what we do in connection groups. We hold each other accountable. We build relationships. We share in life and we cling to each other. And that is what we do when we contribute. And we give back of our time and our talents. We are making ourselves available to be clung to. Literally, if you are working in D6, they will cling to you. We should be praying for God to do miraculous things in this world. We absolutely should be praying for sick people and expecting that God will do something amazing. But as we are praying for family, friends, and coworkers, it is our responsibility to share the hope of Jesus and salvation, the greater solution to our root issues. It would be absolutely devastating if the people around us were to be physically healed, yet years later pass away from something else, never knowing the love of Jesus. That is the main idea of Peter's sermon. He says, thank God for healing, but don't forget to look to the one who did the healing. We can see that many people respond to Peter's sermon but there is a group of religious leaders listening to Peter's sermon as well. And as we look at the last few verses for today, we will see that they're not happy about what Peter says. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, And they were speaking to the people and priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were reaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Again, thousands of people get saved. But the religious leaders, 
they're greatly annoyed. They're angry and they arrest Peter and John. This is a very different reaction than Peter's last sermon, but it's actually very similar to every time Jesus did miracles. Every time he did a miracle, it seemed as if the religious leaders wanted to lock him up or kill him. Whenever God blesses something, Satan shows up to oppose the work and to silence his witnesses. And often he uses religious people to do this. The same crowd that opposed the ministry of Jesus also opposed the work of the apostles. And they are the same type of people who will oppose our ministry today. We should expect it. We should expect opposition to the ministry that God is doing. But that should not let it stop us. The important thing is not that we are comfortable, but that the name of God is glorified through the preaching of the gospel. It is really easy to get pulled into what people think their needs are. And it's really easy to just treat the symptoms and move on. But in those struggles, as we help people to get down, dig down deeper in their struggles, to see the root of the issue and to see the greater solution, that is where God works. God is good all the time. And sometimes he heals us and sometimes he doesn't, but that does not take away from the fact that he is good. And in the suffering, we have a better ability to witness. I beg you, if you are sitting here today and you've never cried out to God in your suffering, in your weakness, stop dealing with the symptom of your suffering and deal with the root and turn to the greatest solution ever, Jesus. Let's pray. Brother God, I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you for, I thank you for suffering. I thank you that you count us worthy. In the moments where we are tempted to just deal with the symptoms of our problems, help us to get to the root of it and to constantly turn to the greater solution, the greatest solution, Jesus. God, I thank you for this passage and I thank you for this day. In your name we pray, amen.